Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. There are 10 national seashores ringing the continental United States. From Cape Cod in Massachusetts, Capes Hatteras and Lookout in North Carolina, to Padre Island in Texas and Point Reyes in California, they capture saltwater environments protected by the national park system. And they offer a mix of experiences, from the raw, truly wild side of Cape Lookout on the outer banks of North Carolina, to the charming small towns that rim Cape Cod. Point Reyes is the only national seashore on the Pacific coast, located roughly at the north-south midpoint of California and just above San Francisco Bay, Point Reyes is a mix of coastal prairie, sprawling sand beaches, and even forested areas. Visitors are drawn there to fish, kayak, camp, hike, ride horses, and of course, view wildlife. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. All is not well at Point Reyes, as a years-long battle continues over ranching at the National Seashore, how it's impacting the seashore's environment, and how the National Park Service is trying to manage cattle ranching and wildlife. To sort through some of these issues, we're joined today by Laura Cunningham, California Director at the Western Watersheds Project. Welcome to The Traveler, Laura. Thank you. Now, you grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. You attended UC Berkeley and studied zoology, paleontology, botany, and resource management. To put it another way, you're pretty familiar with Point Reyes National Seashore and its ecosystems. Yeah, I grew up in the East Bay and since the 1980s um, have been visiting the seashore um, often. And it's a really special place. It's one of the few parks on the Central Coast um, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And I've always been drawn there because of the nature. I mean, it's like, to me, a little bit of old California, pre-European settlement, where you can get an inkling of Tule Elkhurst, coastal prairies, whale watching. So I've always enjoyed going there over the years. Yeah, and I guess it's a popular place uh, for elephant seals, both uh, for the elephant seals themselves and for uh, humans to watch the elephant seals. Yeah, the, it's one of the few places you can actually see these giant elephant seals hauling out on the beaches and even into parking lots once in a while. Parking lots? I, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> Yeah, they had a, a massive bull elephant seal recently come onto one of the parking lots at the beaches, and the park rangers had to sort of haze it delicately back onto the beach. They're massive. Yeah, they, they get up there. 1,500 pounds is not unusual, am I right? Yeah, almost a ton. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, before we get too deep into our conversation, Laura, I need to let our listeners know that Western Watersheds Project, Resource Renewal Institute, and the Center for Biological Diversity recently sued the National Park Service over its plan for managing cattle and tule elk at the National Seashore. With that out of the way, how did we get to this point with ranching at Point Reyes. I mean, down through the years, there have been varying opinions over whether it should be allowed to continue or whether it should be phased out. Yeah, we dug into the um, enabling legislation in the 1960s. It was 1962 when the seashore was created. And if you read, it's online, if you read the enabling legislation, it clearly states that the um, ranches would be bought out with taxpayer money it was something like 50 or $60 million over the 60s and 70s. 
And then generous life estates or, or um, reservations of use would be given to each ranch family and their spouse for 25 years or the, the lifetime of their spouse. And then they agreed to go and they agreed to um, take that money and, you know, do whatever, buy a private ranch or dairy in Marin and Sonoma County. And the idea was to restore and basically rewild just this one point of the seashore for public enjoyment. And back then, there was um, a big worry that urbanization and highways would be built across the seashore. So that was like a, a major push to get the this park unit. But since then, a lot of things have shifted and people are realizing that, you know, Marin County is just not, it's not going to urbanize everywhere. This The seashore is protected. And now the public attention has shifted to impacts of commercial livestock operations on a park unit, a very sensitive park unit with uh, water pollution, 300 miles plus of barbed wire fences. So in our new era, we have come to see that sort of a justice and equity issue of the lack of access for people to the seashore with fences. So why we're here with the lawsuit is basically the Thule elk and drought. This is the second extreme drought in the last 10 years where basically half the population inside the Tamales Elk Reserve has perished. So our, our plaintiff groups are just kind of getting fed up with having to deal with the park service managing for cows more than they seem to be managing for native wildlife. Sure, sure. Now, um, just to set the picture, possibly, if you can, for our listeners, um, as I understand it, this um, management plan that the Park Service came out with not too long ago um, pertains to 28,000 acres of the seashore. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a, the, the general management plan amendment just covers the ranching area of Point Reyes National Seashore, part of the seashore and adjacent Golden Gate National Recreation Area, which has uh, maybe, I can't remember the number, but it's several dairies and many beef ranch leases. And these are actually inside Point Reyes National Seashore and Golden Gate NRA. They're not bordering them on the outside. Correct. How many ranches and how many cattle are we talking about? There are, I'm pulling up my map, there's about 31 leases right now, and most of those are beef. I mean, you have black Angus mostly, but there are about six dairy leases where we have Holstein dairy cows and full production of milking barns and even areas where they're allowed to grow silage hay. So it's, it's a pretty extensive industrial dairy operations. Some of the leases are just for grazing, but there's a couple that have very modern dairy. They're called loafing barns, which the dairy cows are allowed to be in during winter storms. And they're organic, meaning that a percentage of the time the milker cows get to graze on pastures and that, that they don't use pesticides and herbicides. So but this is actually inside the seashore. And there are a lot of these um, areas are 
kind of now off limits to the public. Like the public is not allowed to go into the ranch core zones, we've learned. This is a new zoning of the seashore from this general management plan amendment decision. So you're not allowed to just walk through the barn area and the milk cow inner like yards and paddocks. So there, it's it's definitely a modern operation and the superintendent and some of the ranchers claim that they're preserving a historic ranching zone, but many of the buildings were built after 2000. And so they're definitely state-of-the-art dairies out there on the seashore. We can go back um, 10 or 15 years ago, I'm thinking. Um, as you mentioned, the enabling legislation called for the Park Service to eventually buy out the um, ranching leases at the 25 years later, there was a, a similar situation with uh, the Oyster Bay Oyster Company, or the Drake Sestero Oyster Company, Drake's Bay Oyster Company, um, that came um, to a head in, in 2011, 2012. Um, the owner was trying to get an extension to his lease, which ran out, I think, in 2012. And there was a lot of public pressure back and forth. And um, President Obama's interior secretary at the time, Ken Salazar, came down. And after a number of meetings, he um, he decided that the oyster company should go and that the Park Service should work to extend the ranching leases another 20 years, I believe. Now, what's interesting, you had mentioned that the, the enabling legislation called for these ranches to be phased out over time. Um, during this debate over the, the Drake's Bay Oyster Company, some of the Congress um, people who were involved with the enabling legislation, and I'm, I'm talking about Pete McCloskey um, specifically, along with Representative John Burton and um, William Bagley, a former California assemblyman at the time, wrote to the Interior Secretary that it was their contention that the National Seashore was intended to consist of historic scenic ranches and to retain the oyster farm as California's only oyster cannery. Wasn't that the will of the enabling legislation? In the 1970s, several of the ranchers in agricultural lobby did indeed go to Congress, you're correct, and lobbied successfully to amend that enabling legislation. And studying that amendment, it does make it more murky and a little more hazy. It, it doesn't provide for 20-year leases, but it basically sort of pushes the leasing out indefinitely. And so um, because the enabling legislation is now changed by that amendment, we're looking more at, well, the, it still says, and also the Organic Act, which you know formed the Park Service, of course, says that you must not impair the natural resources of the seashore. So even if there's this hazy, murky amendment, and now the general management plan amendment to the seashore will allow 20-year leases, we still have to take care of the park. We still have to take care of the water quality. Um, we can't impair natural resources on the park. We, we need to have equity for park visitors. So our plaintiff groups have been studying the situation out on the seashore for the last three or four years, and unfortunately finding huge impairments, meaning water pollution, erosion, destruction of native habitats, such as rare coastal prairie, even like, well, the killing of elk for 
cattle. So what we're saying, our side is saying, yes, okay, you have, you now, the ranchers have 20 year ranch leases. We still do not think the original enabling legislation called for permanent commercial livestock grazing. It's been changed, but the laws still say you, you shall preserve this, the natural resources. You cannot impair it. You cannot pollute water. You cannot create human health hazards on beaches because of manure input into streams such as at Kehoe stream. So they still, the ranchers still have to follow the laws. They still have to take care of the land because this is the national park units, like the highest um, level of conservation. And that's unfortunately not what we're seeing when we go out in the field. Indeed, if you look at the, the 2006 management policies for the National Park Service, it states that the agency should, quote, phase out the commercial grazing of livestock wherever possible or whenever possible, and that ranching under the decades-old park management plan violates the seashore's mandate for maximum protection of wildlife and natural resources. Um, that was pointed out in one of the lawsuits that that forced the Park Service to um, take another look and come up with this latest management plan proposal. Now, you, you said elk are being killed for the benefit of cattle. How, how is that happening? It hasn't happened yet, but the decision from this environmental impact statement, the record of decision that's been signed, allows for the free roaming drakes, beach, and lumentor herds, which are outside of that fenced Tamales Elk Reserve, to be shot with rifles, presumably, when they exceed a certain threshold of their herd. And we think it's a very arbitrary threshold. You know, currently there are 120 or so in each herd. They've been stable. They were not impacted by the drought because they're free roaming and able to find creeks and streams and ponds to get fresh water. But when they rise above an arbitrary level, they will be culled. First, they'll be hazed and then culled out of the beef and dairy livestock pastures because apparently ranchers have been complaining that, you know, elk are pretty athletic. They will jump over barbed wire fences, but sometimes they catch a leg and wreck the fence or they're taking the grass from the cows. So the ranchers are telling um, the superintendent, well, I don't want these elk taking our grass for the cows. So um, when they reach a certain population level, they will be shot and killed. They'll actually close some of the roads to park visitors, I hope give warning and um, remove elk. And this is, so this is a future, like a time bomb for the elk right now, the free roaming elk. And we argue that, well, this is a national park unit. We should not have cows competing for elk. There's cows, I've calculated there's something like 10 million, 12 million acres of private dairy and beef ranching in Marin and Sonoma counties, private. They can do whatever they want on their private land. But this small area of national park public land on the coast really should be devoted for elk. I mean, people, when they come to the seashore, they, they don't tell us, well, we come to see the cows because you drive through ranching land in California everywhere. They come to see the native tule elk, the elephant seals, bobcats, abundant bird life, whale watching. So. 
not they don't come to see more and more cows. Yeah, and you were talking about um, some of the impacts that these cattle ranches have. And what I found somewhat ironic last September when the, the Park Service released this management plan was it it followed rather quickly in the wake of uh, charges that a rancher had illegally bulldozed hundreds of feet of parklands so as to maintain creek access for his cattle. Yeah, the drought has actually had a, a hard economic hit on the dairies and beef ranches. I mean, everywhere, but the seashore is amazingly sort of a an arid, moist area, but it doesn't have a lot of water, fresh water. It has springs and seeps and creeks, some ponds, but for 5,000 large livestock cattle, that's actually not a lot of water. So we've had issues where on home ranch, the lessee actually took a little bulldozer and illegally bulldozed a beautiful riparian and alder riparian area to access this trickling creek, which also happens to be a federally listed salmon habitat, just so the cows could get water or he could get a pipe in and pipe it up to his water trough. And we've been finding other lease violations on the seashore too, simply because we've been getting out there and hiking more on our public lands. Um, we discovered a large trash dump full of old cars and refrigerators. Um, this was on E Ranch. And the superintendent Kinkle, who's been very good actually about these lease violations when we um, let him know, they've cleaned it up. They've actually gone there and cleaned it up and they're testing the soil for hazardous materials. But it was, he agreed that was a total lease violation. So there have been other lease violations where Janazi Ranch, which is a beef lease on the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, right next to Point Reyes um, Station, the town. This lessee had been violating his lease for so many years. He'd been overstocking his cattle and he actually had complaints by neighboring lessees so badly, like chronically, that Superintendent Kinkle canceled his lease and he's out. He, that, that I just hiked in that lease and it's now free of cattle. There's no cows there, no beef cows. It's very weedy. You can sort of see the impacts. And I mean, my goal would be to convince the superintendent to allow this lease to restore now. Don't just go find another rancher and put more cows on it. Let it restore. Let us actively plant native coastal prairie um, and then maybe build a couple of hiking trails. It's a ridge. You can see Tamales Bay. It's actually a beautiful parcel. And it's right next to Lagunitas Creek, which is coho salmon and steelhead trout habitat. So I could actually see a, a future where, okay, yes, we're going to have 20-year leases now for the foreseeable future. But if for economic reasons, a rancher wants to leave, don't just put more cattle back on there. There's your opportunity to restore that particular lease. So that's my goal now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there are some positive things happening out there with the, the Park Service trying to oversee some of these operations. We're talking today with Laura Cunningham, the California director at the Western Watersheds Project, about Point Reyes National Seashore and managing cattle and tule elk there. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. 
Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. We all aspire to leave a legacy of good, right? One way or the other, our parks and public lands are all of our legacies. Join Wild Tributes for the Parks community with apparel that pays tribute to where legacy roams. Together, we can and will make a difference for the parks. Join us at wildtribute.com. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. In addition to some of the best rates in the country, Interior Federal Credit Union gives back their members more than other financial institutions in the form of dividends and low or no fees. With higher dividend rates, you can earn more in all your accounts like certificates, money markets, and even a checking account. They focus to make sure that their members aren't being nickel and dimed every time they make a transaction. That is the beauty of Interior Federal Credit Union. Send your bank up, up, up and away and experience the membership difference with Interior Federal Credit Union. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, we're back with Laura Cunningham from the uh, Western Watersheds Project talking about Point Reyes National Seashore and whether the Park Service can manage cattle and wildlife, um, specifically tule elk, side by side. Laura, what does the lawsuit try to do? Are you trying to bring a, uh, an end to ranching as we know it at Point Reyes, or is it just trying to put more teeth into the management of the cattle ranching there and uh, benefit the, the tule elk if possible? Yeah, I definitely think we're trying to sort of force the park service to enforce its own laws ultimately my long-term goal is to gradually have livestock operations cease on the seashore but i mean the lawsuit basically challenges how the clean water act has just been kind of let go by the wayside even the state clean water acts too National Environmental Policy Act. I mean, the EIS was deficient. The environmental impact statement was deficient in so many ways. They, they could have chosen an alternative that even just scaled back ranching, and they didn't. They chose the most, in my opinion, the most destructive alternative of, we're not only going to keep all the beef and dairy cows, we're going to increase agricultural diversification so they can have 
chickens, goats, sheep, farm stays, even possibly apparently mobile slaughterhouses where the lessees can then sell cuts of beef right there on the seashore. That that seems a little extreme. Yeah. So we're just trying to get that to scale back. You know, we we're, we're not into more commercial activities on the seashore when you have all of Marin and Sonoma County where you can do that. So and there, there's a we're trying to get them to follow the Organic Act and follow the enabling legislation. Do not impair natural resources. Simple. And there's just abundant impairment out there. I mean, I visited a coho salmon stream, actually it was Alima Creek, where from chronic livestock grazing, the stream banks are just collapsing in from erosion. And these are silting in salmon spawning gravels. Uh, and the Park Service is trying to do a little tiny bits of mitigation, like putting straw wattles on the edges. They're beginning to fence off some of the creeks to not allow cattle accessing the water, but this has only been very recent. So um, there's just huge, and, and the weed problem is one of the biggest, I think, especially on the dairy leases, um, where the cows are permanently on there all year. They don't even rest these pastures, and they're full of um, invasive thistles, poison hemlock, uh, just, you know, toxic weeds that are so pioneering on dead soils that not even the cows will eat them. So to me, this is like, it's worse than most other public lands I visited, Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management. Some of the leases on Point Reyes National Seashore are just, they look like management from no management, just a free-for-all. So I think our lawsuit would like to, yeah, A, yes, please follow the laws and improve these um, leases. And that may mean less livestock. We got to reduce the stocking rate. The manure problem alone from the dairies is um, causing huge bacterial um, contamination of some of the creeks. And we've asked the Park Service, maybe you need to put signs on Kehoe Beach and Abbott's Lagoon saying, do not enter the water. We have a, a team now doing water sampling just independently and finding has human health hazardous levels of E. coli, enterococcus bacteria. I mean, they should have signs saying, do not enter the water. I mean, even a dog could probably get sick from this. So the lawsuit is basically saying, clean this up. You got to clean this up. Now, now during the the break, um, you mentioned how lush it is right now because of uh, the winter rains and whatnot. And uh, I think you said it looked kind of like Ireland, which got me thinking. You know, the the English style national park model where parks encompass small towns and and sheep ranches and cattle ranches is something like that not possible at Point Reyes? Can can they coexist? I mean. Is that I'm not a good? Always... Go ahead. I was just wondering if that if that could be a model replicated here. I think there could be a model where we have in other national parks you have interpretation of historic farming. So you could have a very small um, historic ranch core building with a very small herd of dairy cows and interpreters, volunteers who would then you know interpret the history. 
and not have 5,000 cows, you know, maybe have a hundred cows in one area. Like the, for example, the Pierce Point Ranch um, was bought out. That's in the Tamales Elk Reserve. And it, it's a historic dairy barn and no cows now. The rancher's gone. And it's very interesting to walk around. They have interpretive signs saying, you know, here's the historic milker barn and other buildings. And I could see a model where if we could drastically reduce commercial agriculture and maybe not have it so commercial, but have it interpretive. And it was interesting talking with Superintendent Kinkle. You know, he came from Cuyahoga. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Yeah, Cuyahoga National Valley. Park. Back in Ohio. Valley, thank you. In Ohio. And it had a, a very different style of leasing farms. I mean, he described it to us as small, more interpretive, not a big industrial commercial operation, but like a more like a family farm lease with some livestock, very carefully managed. Um, they're allowed to, you know, sell items to the public, but it's a much more small scale. And I could almost detect when Superintendent Kinkle came to the seashore, he, he, I, I could just see it in his voice and his eyes that this is a really much larger commercial set of operations on the seashore. So I'm definitely for scaling back. I mean, simply the number of livestock I think is too great. It's just over the carrying capacity. I mean, the dairy lessees have to truck in alfalfa hay from the Central Valley just to keep the dairy cows fed enough calories. And so, you know, there's a climate change problem right there with trucking tons of alfalfa every week in. So, yeah, I mean, if we could scale back and have a true interpretive historic farm, you know, operation that's not trying to make a profit and more interpretive to the public, I would be for that. At one point, I believe uh, Thule elk had actually been extirpated from the, the National Seashore, and then um, they were later brought back. And um, how are they doing now? I mean, how many elk do you have out there? Any idea what the possible carrying capacity would be if they were allowed to roam where elk want to roam? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the California Department of Fish and Wildlife would be able to figure out a carrying capacity. And we've by no means reached that on the seashore. And I almost think that, you know, I get asked about this. Well, what if the tule elk start to overpopulate? You know, if we take the fence down and let them roam and I think that's a future problem. I think that's that's a far in the future problem. We've lost literally half of the 400 or so tule elk inside the fenced reserve in the last couple of years from the drought. I mean, we had wildlife photographers going out and finding carcasses, skeletons, elk trying to get into a mud pond where the water had almost gone the last summer because of the drought and then getting stuck in the mud. I mean, it was awful. So. We've had a big crash in the population. And it's kind of interesting because when you go out on the dairy and ranch leases in the seashore, you see elk a little bit like everywhere. The bulls will wander from those free roaming herds by Drake's Bay and they go right up to the fence on the under, other side and the, the elk will touch noses through that fence. So the elk are dispersing gradually through the, the ranch leases. and. I mean, our ultimate goal 
as well as to take down the fence of the Tamales Elk Reserve and open that area up for elk to leave if they need to. I mean, tule elk prehistorically were probably migratory. They might have left the seashore and gone inland to, you know, moister marshes and river areas, then come back in the winter. Um, so to have them trapped in sort of like an elk zoo on that narrow peninsula of Tamales Point, it's just, I mean, that's that, that was why the original 2016 lawsuit was launched because we had another drought 2014 2015 killed elk and the park said well we're just going to let it happen it's natural but we argued it's not natural when you have a fence trapping elk from escaping a very dry area during a drought it's actually cruel so the the current lawsuit is almost a repeat of the past one because we keep going through this drought kill that's unnatural in a fenced area over and over. I mean, I guess with climate change, we're going to have more droughts. Well, yeah, I was I was wondering about that. I mean, we are going to have more droughts. I mean, here in Utah, we're mired in a 20-year-long drought that shows no signs of abating. Could the Thule elk survive through the droughts if not for the fence? I think that's a, a good question because the two free roaming elk herds when they were surveyed by the park staff had a stable population. Maybe they lost a couple or stable through the last drought. The Tamales elk fenced population, half of them died during the drought. So if we took the fence down, I think that those fenced tule elk would be able to roam and find water. The park argues that it, they didn't die of thirst, they died of um, malnutrition during the drought because the grasslands, they're actually deficient of some nutrients like, um, I can't remember if it's copper or selenium. Um, and the park has actually agreed with us now and put out supplement so, blocks or lick. tubs of supplements. Yeah, so, yep, yep, a salt lick. And, and they've also agreed with us that there was not enough water and they went and put out water troughs in the fenced area for the elk. Strange way to, to manage wildlife in a national park. Yes. We've been talking today with Laura Cunningham, the California director at the Western Watersheds Project about Point Reyes National Seashore and how best to manage livestock and wildlife side by side. Laura, it sounds like an incredibly complicated issue that um, has been dragging on now for some time and it doesn't look like it's going to go away in the future but um, we'll, we'll try and get the park service um, to, to join us um, down the road and get their position on what's going on there but um, certainly appreciate your briefing today and, and hope you'll keep us uh, up to date on um, how things are going what what are the next steps with the lawsuit is there a, a timetable set up yet well we're, we're getting our judge assigned. So that's the next step. But and before I go, I wanted to also mention, I think an important part of the story is the cultural management. We've been in contact with um, the Coast Miwok, certain people who are not federally recognized. And I think they have a really big part to play in the future management as well. So the indigenous voices, I think, are also going to be important to managing the seashore too. Yeah, and I think the new director of the, the Park Service, uh, Charles Sams, um, has indicated he, he wants to bring in more indigenous voices to uh, help with interpretation and, and possibly management of some park system lands. Yes. 
Interesting times we live in. Laura, thanks so much, and, and we'll catch up down the road and uh, see how this lawsuit plays out. Okay, thank you very much for having me. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We did reach out to officials at Point Reyes National Seashore to discuss the issue, but they declined, citing the fact that they are being sued over the management plan. In the weeks ahead, we hope to get one of the ranchers on the show to provide their side of the story. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kajimakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experiences in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. That's P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Park's Traveler podcast is done by Split Beard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.